0: But today we're going to finish, and we're going to finish strong. The Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, um, we have been now, this is our eighth week through the book of Philippians, and with this one little book Paul has been talking about, um, he finishes with one of the greatest promises of all time, one of the greatest promises. And I I want to just let you know, Philippians chapter 4, is one of the greatest chapters, the great, great chapters of the Bible. There's probably, if you had to rank the top 12, the top 10, the top 15 chapters of the Bible, I promise you Philippians 4 is in everybody's top 10, top 12, top 15 list. I mean, there's great chapters like John 3. John 3.16 is in John 3. There's great chapters like John 15 where Jesus talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. One of the probably the best chapters in the whole Bible altogether is Romans 8. You could do a year just on Romans eight. It seems like um, Ephesians one, another great chapter of the Bible. Philippians four is right up there, top ten chapters of the whole Bible. If you were, if you're going to stretch yourself and say, you know, Pastor Jerry, I want to memorize a whole chapter of the Bible, what would you recommend? That would be on my top ten list. I'd say these are the top five chapters, and Philippians four would be would be one of them. So. Paul doesn't waste a breath, doesn't waste a syllable. He finishes just as strong. Last week was one of the best passages of all time, Philippians chapter 2, where we learned to don't worry about anything, pray about everything, give God thanks and everything, and tell him what you need, cast your cares on him, and he will apply all your needs, and you will have the peace that passes understanding. And Rich had a great time and just eloquently presented that. If you missed last week's message, you owe it to yourself to go back and re-listen to that over and over again because that's the basis. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to thank God, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to pray about everything, and I'm going to have peace in my life. Well, Paul doesn't, he doesn't finish weak. He finishes strong with, as I said, one of the greatest promises in the whole Bible. Let me read it to you, Philippians 4:19. And Paul says as he says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. Circle the phrase all your needs. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. All your needs. What does that include? All. There's no wiggle room in that word. You don't need a pastor type to tell you, well, the Greek word for all means all. You know, the Greek word for all means everything. Of course it does. All means all. God says, I will supply all your needs. So my big question when I look at that verse is, why don't I have all my needs met? Is God a liar? Just any time a pastor asks you, is God a liar, you just go, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for that. You know, I'm going to check. If in doubt, God's not a liar. I'm checking that box. No, God's not a liar. So is this just a verse that I just kind of hope it happens or not? Is God actually saying, I will meet every need in your life? Does that include emotional needs? Yes. Does that include physical needs? Absolutely. Does that include relational needs? Yes. Financial needs? Oh, I hope so. That's when we all want to claim this verse. I got a financial needs? You're supposed to fly all my needs according to your riches of glory. How about spiritual needs? Yes, 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 yes. All, 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 all all of the above. God says, I guarantee you, Christian, I guarantee you, church in Philippi, church at Seminole, I guarantee you, I will meet all your needs. So why aren't all our needs met? As you know, If you've been paying attention over the last 30 years, there is a condition with every promise. There is a premise with every promise in the Bible. People, scholars say there are possibly as many as 7,000, over 7,000 promises in the Bible. This is why you should read your Bible. Has anybody ever told you you should read your Bible? I think it's been a couple weeks since I told you. You should read your Bible. And when you're reading along, you go, oh my goodness, that's a promise. You claim the promise, but with every promise in the Bible, all 7,000 of them, there's a premise, there's a condition. God says, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do that. If you do that, I'll do this. God says there's a premise with every promise. There's a condition attached. In other words, I can't claim, we can't claim Philippians 4, 19, Unless we do the conditions outlined in Philippians 4, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And in that passage, it talks about generosity. And as we look at this, how do I have contentment in my life? How do I enjoy contentment in my life? In fact, the message paraphrase says in this verse that God's generosity exceeds yours. The promise of God meeting all of our needs, the promise of contentment is tied to generosity. God says, I'll never let you give more than, than me. I'll never let you outgive me, God says. You cannot outgive God. And if we go back and we remember the reason for the letter, the book that we're studying is the book of Philippians. We're taking a joy ride because it's all about joy. It's all about living a joyful life. Joy and generosity, joyfulness and generosity go together hand in hand. You remember, Paul is writing this letter. Who's he writing it to? He's writing it to the church that he planted in Philippi. And you remember where Paul is at? He's in a Roman prison. He's... He's... Older in years, he's old, he's in prison, he's waiting execution from the Roman Emperor Nero. And Paul has started churches all over the Roman Empire. He started a church in Corinth, a town outside of Athens. Nancy and I, ten years ago, we went to the Holy Land. We took a, a boat ride and a canal ride and then a bus ride all the way up to this big rock on the top of a mountain uh, which is where the ruins of corinth are and when paul wrote to the church that he planted in corinth Those two letters are called first corinthians and second corinthians He wrote to the church that he planted in philippi. This is the one we're looking at and then we call it philippians um, He he planted a church in thessalonica also a city in greece and wrote to them some letters We call those letters first thessalonians and second thessalonians, you know if paul had started Seminole church And he had written us a letter. It would have been called like 1st and 2nd Floridians or 1st and 2nd Sanfordians or Seminoleans has a ring to it, doesn't it? Turn to Seminoleans 3, verse 2, please, in your text, right? So he writes these letters and he says to his church that he planted in Philippi, Listen, you guys in Philippi, you Philippians, you have been the most generous church of any church ...with me. You have helped me time and time and time again. And this whole letter, this whole book that we call the book of Philippians... ...is a thank you note. It's a receipt for their generosity. He's saying, hey, I got your gift. Remember, they took up an offering. They sent him this offering, this gift, and this guy, Epaphroditus, almost dies... ...carrying, you know, 800 miles, this offering to Paul. This entire book is about the joy and the joyfulness and the happiness of being such generous people, you people, the church of Philippi. And the church of Philippi is one of the most generous churches ever recorded. In fact, Paul actually brags about the Philippians to other churches when he writes to them. He writes to the people in Corinth, the Corinthians, and he actually brags about those in Philippi. He's in Thessalonica, and they help him and send an offering to him there. And he says, you know, this is the most generous church on the planet. I wonder, could God brag about our generosity like that? I know I can. I am happy to pastor. I'm thrilled to pastor a very, very generous church. So many of you Seminoleans, so many of you, Give to support what God is doing in His kingdom through Seminole Community Church. Most of you give electronically, even before the last three years. Remember when we used to pass an offering plate before COVID? All the germaphobes were like, "That's so gross!" You know, money's the dirtiest thing, and now you're a whole plate of it going by me. You know, oh, my breath. You know, kind of a thing. I'm not touching that. You germaphobes, you're living, you're living high right now, right? Most of you give electronically you've actually automated your giving. You've planned ahead. That's what Nancy and I have done. We've we've planned ahead, we set it up, we set it in, and we forget it. And let me just tell you, let me just say so so much thanks to those of you who've done that, because that reoccurring giving that you set up happens even when like during the summer months when you're not here half the time or you're on vacation or you're you know on an inner tube and behind a boat somewhere like I was. Your tithes and your offerings are already taken care of. And that automation helps us so much, especially during what we used to call we still I guess call them the summer slump months. And it used to be, my elders will attest to this, that year after year we come out of we'd come after out of the summer, we'd hit September the first and it would be like the okay, Lord, the pit that we're in, you know. I hope you're gonna rescue us from this. I mean, we used to are we gonna make it another year, or is this a grand experiment already? Already over. And God, of course, has never, never let us, He's never brought us this far to leave us. So I want to thank you publicly, those of you who continue to give. But even above all that, our church is super generous. Every May, I send out a letter. Uh, First of May, usually I send a letter to raise scholarship funds for our students and our chaperones to go to Fuge Camp. And every year we raise over $15,000 to send our kids to camp. Every August, we raise. We raise thousands of dollars for counseling scholarships for people who don't have enough money to get counseling, but they need counseling. And we help them with that. Every November, we give tens of thousands of dollars to our Chest of Joash offering that covers all of the facilities that you see. Um, We take care, we give to our missionaries that are from our church. We support our orphanage that we have in Haiti. Anytime there's a need, I know I can come to you, and our church always steps up because we have such a generous church. We we rise to the challenge. When COVID first hit, we raised over $30,000 to help members of this church who were displaced in work. Remember when it was only going to be two weeks, two weeks to flatten the curve kind of a thing, you know? And and, and sometimes it seems like two weeks. Sometimes it seems like 20 years we've been in this, doesn't it? It seems like forever. Other times it seems like it was just, just the other day when we were all masked up and couldn't come to church. Anytime there's a need... When there's like a disaster or a flood somewhere or there's a humanitarian need like what happened in Ukraine earlier in the year, you guys respond. I could brag about your generosity all day long and often I do because here's the thing. There's really only two kinds of people in life. There are givers and there are takers in life. Have you discovered this to be true? There are givers and there are takers. And listen, here's the thing. We all have to make a choice. Am I going to be a giver or am I going to be a taker in life? Am I going to be a giver in life or am I going to be a taker in life? And let me just let you know, you got to make that choice yourself, but you can't make that choice for anybody else. Have you figured that out too? I mean, if you could, you would make a choice for your kids, but your kids You can't make them be givers. In fact, they're born takers, aren't they? Mine, mine, mine. Right? How do our toddlers turn into generous givers instead of takers? They see the example their parents or someone else sets. Because giving is caught more than it's taught. It's no accident that the root word for miser and miserable are the same word. The more it's all about me, the more I take, 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 the more unhappy, the less joyful I'm going to be in life. And the more I give, 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 the more generous I am with every area of my life. Generous with my praise, generous with my love, generous with my time, generous with my energy, generous with my money. The more generous I am, the more happy and the more joyful and the more content I am. I'm going to be in life. Paul says if you really want to be joyful, you really want to be content, you really want to be happy in life, you're going to have to learn to be generous because you're not born generous. It's something you have to learn. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give us a list of six benefits of being a generous person. Instead of being a taker in life, being a giver in life. I want to give us six benefits that will characterize our life, that we'll experience in life. Six benefits of what it does for you when you learn generosity. One of the laws of the universe that God has created, just like the law of gravity, one of the laws of God's universe is this. We are going to reap what we sow. What that means is whatever we plant is what we harvest. In fact, whatever we give out is what we get back, and we get back more than we give out. It's true in every area of life. If we give out praise, then people are going to praise us back. If we give out love, people are going to love us back. But if we give out gossip, people are going to gossip behind our back, and we're going to get gossip back. If we get angry with others and we're always giving out anger, we're going to receive a lot of anger coming back at us. If we're generous with others, other people will be generous with us. Here's the point. This law of sowing and reaping, the main point of that is whatever you need more of in your life, you need to give away what you've already got in that category. In other words, let's, let's say you don't have a lot of energy. First week of school coming up, a lot of people are going to be out of energy. By the end of the first week, every teacher's kind of dragging. And every kid's kind of dragging. And every parent, they're happy it's finally here, but now they're dragging. Let's say you don't have any energy next week and you're tired and all your body parts are dragging through the door. You're worn out. How do I get more energy? How do I amp up my energy? I know. I'll lay on the couch and watch TV. Will that give you energy? No. That doesn't give you energy. There's only one way to get energy. When I tell you what it is, you're going to be like, I don't believe it. That sounds crazy. That doesn't sound like it could possibly be true, although you already know it's true. When you are out of energy, the way you get more energy isn't lay on the couch. The way you get more energy is you get up and exercise. What? Oh, yeah, walk around the block, but I don't have any energy. Yeah, but if you go walk around the block, you'll have more energy. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> that sounds like a bait and switch. I don't really think that's true, but it is true. Because exercise actually increases your energy. It doesn't decrease your energy. You have to spend energy to get more energy. It's a law of the universe. Using what you've got, actually you end up getting more. So, if you need more time in your life, like, I don't have enough time. i got all these things i got to do. I'm always out of time. Then you need to give away some of your time, unselfishly, serving others and serving God. He said, but Jerry, that doesn't make it. He says, I don't have enough time as it is. Yeah, exactly. But if you give away your time, your Heavenly Father says, whoa, whoa, whoa. you see that? He just gave away some of his time. You can't outgive me, God says. I'm going to give you your time back and then some. I will never let you be more generous than me. That's the promise. So whatever you need more of, you give it away. You need more money, you need to give away some of your money. You need more energy, you need to give away some of your energy. The book of Philippians, which is this giant thank you note on generosity, gives us six ways that when you're a giver in life and not a taker in life, that you're actually going to be blessed more, be more joyful, have more contentment in life. Let me have you jot these down. I'm going to hit them pretty fast with no no transition because number five, I want to make sure I get to number five. Six benefits of being generous. Number one, when I'm generous, I earn the gratitude of others. I earn the gratitude of others. If you think about it, the people that you're most grateful for in your life, who are they? They're the people who've invested the most in you. They invested their time in you. They invested their their money in you. They invested their energy in you. They invested a whole lot of patience in you or whatever. The people that you're most grateful for are the people who invested the most in you. If they had been stingy with their time, with their patience, with their emotions, with their energy, with their money, you're not grateful for them. Those people aren't even on your list. They didn't even come to mind. Let me say it this way. We earn a living by what we make, but we earn the respect or the gratitude of others by what we give. We earn a living by what we make. We earn a life by what we give. And we get the gratitude of others. Paul gives us an example of this. The most giving people are the most appreciated people. And he gives us a clear example in Philippians 4 in this last passage. Let me read to you 14 through 18. Paul says, even so you, Philippians, church of Philippi, even so you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Remember, they just sent an offering to him. As you know, You Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. Remember, Epap, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. So the question for us is, is there anybody who's grateful for my generosity? Can you think of five people or ten people or twenty people who would say, you know... He was so generous to me. She gave so much to me. They were so loving, so giving, so generous with me. I am grateful for them. Is there anybody who's grateful for our generosity? That's the first thing being generous does, is that I earn the gratitude of others. Number two, when I'm generous... I show what really matters the most in life, or to me. I show what really matters the most every time I'm generous. What matters most? Things or people? What matters most? Things in your life or people in your life? People. Things don't matter. Life's not about the accumulation of things. Oh, that's counterculture, isn't it? When you give... When you're generous with your time and your money and your energy, whatever, every time you give, you're showing what really matters to you. If you tell me how you spend your time and how you spend your money, I'll tell you what's most important in your life. If you show me your online bank register or your online, online calendar, I can show you, I can tell you what's the most important thing. I used to say it like this for all of us old geezer types. I'm 55 years old if you're like me. If I were to say, yeah, do you remember your checkbook register? Do millennials even know what a check is? Right? It's like this little piece of paper that counts as money, and you you fill it out, and you mail it somewhere, and they're like, What? You don't use Venmo? And we're like, what Venmo, you know? It's like, no, you write a check, and you sign it, and you have to fill it out, right? They're like, huh? And uh, they don't know what a check is. But you remember your check register? Same thing. Or remember remember when b- before, I mean, they don't realize, we didn't always have these that we carried around. Before you had a phone to carry around, or before you had a computer calendar, you had, like, paper ca- date timers for old timers, right? I don't even want to ask you to raise your hand if you still have a date timer. Just keep your hands down. I don't want be laughing at you. Okay? But if you took your day timer, old timer, and you took your check register, old timer, and you said, showed, showed me over the years what was in that, I could tell you, oh, Publix is you mo. You're, you worship Publix, right? Uh, <laughs> that's where most of our checks went. Um, and now it's like wherever you swipe your card the most, right? Because here's the principle. It's not a principle. It's kind of a law of life. Jesus is the one who tells us this. What... What matters most to us is found in our time and in our money. And if we were to look at your schedule, if we were to look at your, your checkbook, we say, Oh, that hobby's the most important thing. Or oh, you know, that's the most important thing. Or oh, your kids are the most important thing. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just it's an indicator of what's the most important thing in our life is where we put our time and where we put our money. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, right before he talked about you build your house on the rock. Or you build your house on the sand, which Kristen was, was quoting today in Matthew six twenty one. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever you put your money, that's where your heart is. So when I'm generous, it shows what really matters most to me. And Paul talks about this not just in, in Philippians chapter 4. It's the whole book of Philippians. Philippians 1, 10, he starts. He says, I want you to understand what really matters. I could spend my whole life working hard to get things, to get more things, to buy things, and, and make a pile, and a higher pile, and a higher pile. Cause that's what, it seems like that's, that's the goal for some of us in life. It's like, I gotta get more stuff and build a bigger pile. So when I get to, when I get to my funeral, or when everybody else gets to my funeral, they see the big giant pile. Right? Because that's what, my pile is this big, to which everybody's fear is like, so what? Because that never matters. Life isn't about things. Life's about learning to love. Life's about learning about relationships. And at the end, if I have this big, giant pile, but I'm estranged from my wife and my kids and my friends, then I've missed the purpose of life. I've missed the meaning of life. The purpose of life is not to collect things. You're to use things and love people. And the problem is when you start loving things, you have a tendency to use people. We get things reversed. So every time I'm generous with my time, I'm generous with my money, with my effort, my energy, what I'm really saying is what matters most is God and people. What matters most is love, loving God and loving people. That's the great commandment. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 7. I once thought these things, those frivolities, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. I don't consider, Paul said, I don't need status symbol to make me feel good about myself. I now consider them worthless because of what Jesus Christ has done. And this is how generosity breaks the grip of materialism in my life. What is materialism? Materialism is the idea of, That having more will make me more happy. That's the idea. That if I have more, secure more, that it will make me more happy. It will make me more valuable. That's materialism. It's all about get, 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 get. And this this is the message we get from advertisers all day long, every day of our life. You've got people, usually famous people. And they're showing you this product and they're saying, you need to buy this product because it makes me so happy. They look so happy. You ever notice all the people in the advertisements, they look so happy. They're just, I'm so happy because I bought this product and it's made me happy. So you should buy this product because it'll make you happy too. And it's all a big lie because they didn't buy the product. You know why they're happy? They're getting paid to smile at you. They're happy because I'm getting paid to try to tell you that this makes you happy. And I didn't even buy this. They give this to me and they give money to me. I'd be happy too. Just give us the stuff for free and give us all the money for the advertising. We'll be happy. No, 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 no. They they want you to spend your hard-earned money on that product because it's going to make you happy. And it's just not true. So how do we break that materialism in our life? There's only one way. Because that's what we go through. We go through, I just got to get a little bit more. And the next year, I got to get a little bit more. And next year, I got to get a little bit more. And I'm comparing. I got to have more than the guy down the street. I got to have more than everybody sitting around my Thanksgiving table. I got to have more than everybody. You know, the more I get, that's how we keep score. Oh, I got a new one. Oh, I got a better one. Oh, I got a... You know, I gotta someone that'll make you even more happy. How do I break that grip of materialism? The antidote for getting is giving. So every time I'm generous and I take something that I've got and I give it to you, or I give it to God, or I give it to feed the poor, or whatever, then I'm actually breaking the grip of materialism in my life. Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Paul says, I'm not living for the here and now. I'm storing up for eternity. He says, I'm not trying to make my pile high, high, high higher on this side of eternity. I'm trying to make my, my pile higher on, on the other side of eternity. I'm living in light of heaven, he says. So what does my generosity, what does my giving reveal about me? What does it reveal is most important? Where I put my money is where my heart is. The third thing, every time I'm generous, remember I earn the gratitude of others. I show what really matters. And number three, when I'm generous, I become more like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the most generous person who ever lived. Jesus is a giver. Why am I becoming more like Jesus? Because giving is the essence of God. God is a giver. If God was not a giver, none of us would be here today. We wouldn't be sitting here right now. Because everything in our life is a gift from God. Everything in your life is... Is a gift from God. If God wasn't generous. We would have nothing. The air we breathe. It's a gift from God. The sun that shines down. On this planet today. None of us built the sun. Gift from God. The fact that my heart is beating. beanie, Beating. Beating. Gift from God. You don't even tell your heart to beat. Keep going, keep going. Hey, hey, hey just stop, you know, back to work. Your automatic beating heart, gift from God. The fact that I have lungs. Gift from God. I didn't earn this life. It was given to me as a gift from God out of his great generosity. If God wasn't generous, I would have never been created, and neither would you. And the Bible says it this way, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father. And we attempted to say, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. I earned this stuff. Who do you think gave you the ability to earn that stuff? Well, 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 wait a minute, I, I thought that up. You know, I invented this. Where do you think you got your brain? Why don't you use your brain and think about where you got your brain? Because there is no www.sendmeabrain.com. There's not a -a 1-800-I-NEED-A-BRAIN. There's no yellow brick road that leads to Oz to get your brain, scarecrow. Only God gives brains. Some of us. He gives less than others. I know. You see, I become like Jesus. I become, every time I give, I become more like God because everything in our life is a gift from God. Freedom we have, the eyes we see with, the ears we hear with, it's all a gift from God. So because God is generous, he wants his kids, his children to be like him. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave, John 3. You've heard me say many times, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So every time we're generous, what happens is this change takes place in our heart. Our heart ratchets up one, one notch closer to God, one notch closer to be more like Jesus. We become more loving every time we give. The Bible says, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that even when you give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus that that counts every time I practice generosity, I become more and more like him. Philippians 1, 11 says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And what we're talking about is extremely counterculture. It goes against the flow of human nature. Because everything in our nature says, get, 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 not give, give, give. Everything in culture, it's about me, myself, and I, 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 I. When I'm generous, what does that do? It takes the focus off of me and puts it on someone else, others. Philippians 2, 4, don't look out for your own interests. Realize how counterculture that is? Don't look out for your own interests, but... Take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, number four. Got just enough time. When I'm generous, it strengthens my faith. Fourth benefit of learning to be generous and experiencing contentment. I strengthen my. That means my faith gets stronger. Why is that? Well, it's because. When I take something that I've got that I need, and instead of using it on me, I, I use it to help you, then I'm going to have to depend on God to meet the need that's created when I give that something away to help you. Say I've got some money, and I've got this money set aside for some of my bills, because i got plenty of bills. Everybody got plenty of bills, 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 bills? Yep. So I'm going to take this money and I'm going to use it on my bills. But then when I look at your situation and I realize, oh, my goodness, you don't only have bills, but you have bills. You've got a crisis in your life. You've got some calamity, some catastrophe. And I'm going, I'm going to take some of my money and set aside for my bills, bills, bills. And I'm going to give it to help you with your bill. Then that creates a need in my life. And I'm saying, God, I'm going to have to trust you to meet my need and my faith. Faith is going to grow stronger when God does that. I've only got a certain amount of time. I have 24 hours in a day just like you have 24 hours in a day. And I've got all this big to-do list, and I've got all these things on my to-do list, and I don't even have enough time to do everything on my to-do list. Anybody got a to-do list like that? I've got so much on my to-do list that I don't even have time to do everything on my to-do list, but I look at your situation and you need help. And I decide I'm going to give you some of my time that I don't have time to do everything on my to-do list, but I'm going to give you some of my time because your to-do list is way worse than my to-do list. When I give some of my time away, then I say to God, God, you're going to have to 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 help me with my to-do list. And God said, you know what God says when He sees me give my time away that I don't have enough time to do all my to do list to help you with your to do list. God looks at the angels and he says, Hey, did you see that? Did you see that? He gave away some of his time. Nobody out gives me. I'm gonna give him time. You say, God can't give me time. Oh, God can give time. He stopped the whole earth from revolving for twenty four hours one time. That was a for everybody know how he gives you time? All of a sudden, those things on the to-do list, everything goes right. That's how it's going to take two hours. It took 20 minutes. Boom, there's time. Somebody else did something on my to-do list. How'd that happen? They gave their time to help your to-do list, and God's helping them. And the next thing you know, God multiplies your time. And you're like, I helped them. God helped me. I got everything done and more. That's how God strengthens our faith. Because he says, you know what, God? I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to help where I need to help. And strengthens my faith. This is the whole thing that Pastor Rich taught on last week. Every time I give, my faith grows stronger. Philippians 4, 6, one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible, one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible, and one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for everything that He's done. And it goes on to talk about, and the peace that passes understanding will be in your life. In other words, I'm just going to trust God to meet my needs. I'm going to give, even when I don't think I have the time, the money, the energy, the effort, the patience. Number five, the one I was really wanting to get to, this is the most important one in my opinion. When I'm generous... I invest in my eternal home. The Bible says that every time I invest, every time I'm generous, when I give my time, when I give my money, when I give my energy, when I give whatever it is, I'm investing in my eternal home. Jesus called this principle storing up treasures in heaven for yourself. Have any of you ever heard about this? Have anybody ever heard store up treasure in heaven? Jesus is the one who teaches this. This phrase, store up treasures for yourself. By the way, it's not store up treasures for God in heaven. God doesn't need your treasure. God has all the treasure. He doesn't need our treasure. God does not need your money. God does not need your time. God does not need your energy. God does not need, period. You store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Jesus says this. Now, here's the thing you want to know how many times Jesus said and uses the phrase, store up treasures for yourself in heaven? He didn't say it once. He didn't say it twice. He didn't say it three times. He didn't say it four times. He didn't say it five times. How long are you going to go, Jerry? To right here. He said it six times. Jesus, your Savior, said this six times. I don't know about you, but whenever, sometimes he has to tell me things more than once. Whenever Jesus says something six times, it's like, hello, you need to pay attention. Because Jesus could have said this one time. He could have said, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Oh, you missed that? Man, you should have been listening really close, you know. You, you, you should have been digging a little deeper. You should have found that one little obscure verse where I said, store up treasures for in outside. What did he say? I don't know. He said something, about tre- said something about heaven. No, no, no. Jesus isn't hiding this. He's making this very clear. Six times Jesus said the phrase, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Anytime Jesus says something six times, we better listen. Because if we don't, who's going to miss out on treasure? Not Jesus. You miss out, and I miss out. Because we're not paying attention. We're going to miss the benefit. What's the benefit? Treasures for yourself in heaven. Anytime Jesus says something six times, we better figure out what in the world is he saying. Because he's saying, this is really important. This is real. I'm going to tell you again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. I think that's six. Life is about storing up things in heaven. It's like banking in heaven. It's like investing in heaven. We can store up things here on earth, a big old pile, when we get to the funeral home. The Bible says, don't store up a of stuff here. And the words that the Bible uses is where thieves can steal it, where rust can rust it, and where moths can eat it. He says, instead, store up treasure in heaven. Why? Because we're going to spend a whole lot more time there. Here you get 80 years, 90 years, maybe you get 100 years. There you're going to have trillions and trillions and trillions of years. Storing up treasures in heaven. So obviously it makes more sense to invest there than it does here. Because here you only get to enjoy it till you die. You don't get to take it with you. You know that, right? You've heard me say many times. Look, I've done over 300 funerals in my ministry in 29 years. 300 funerals. Never, 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 never once have I seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer? Because you don't get to take nothing. Nothing. The Bible says you don't, get to, you don't get to take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. How do you do that? How do you send it on ahead? If I can send treasure to heaven that I can use for me, how do I do that? The Bible says you do it by investing in people who are going there. There are only two things that are going to last forever. Only two. Only two things that are going to last forever. The Word of God and people. That's it. You look around. One day, this building that we're in right now, it's going to crumble. Now, it is a very strong building. We built this extra strong. Stronger than any other building in this quadrant is this building. Why? Because I had people for years and years tell me, oh, if I ever come to that church, the walls will come crashing down. I'm like, We're building it strong just for you, buddy. Some of you have said that before. That you've had it said about you. Yeah, if you ever show the church, the walls will fall down. Walls haven't fallen yet, but someday they'll all be gone. All these trees will be gone someday. I mean, really, in my homes, they're already wiping out all the trees. You know, So you, you, it doesn't take a lot of faith to believe that. Everything you see is going to be gone. I hate to tell you this. Folks, look, I love our country, but America won't last. America will be gone someday. Some of you are like, it's going to hell in a handbasket as it is. Nothing on this planet lasts forever. The Roman Empire is gone, what we've been talking about. Nero, all that crowd, gone. Nothing lasts, only two things last forever. Truth, if it was true a 1,000 years ago, it will be true 10,000 years and 10 million years from now. Opinions change. Facts change. Theories change. Science changes weekly, it seems. But truth does not change. If it's true, it will always be true. Another thing that will last forever is people in one of two places. People will last forever, either in heaven or in hell. Those are the things that we need to invest in. Because those are the things that are going to outlast this planet. Paul says, I invest in my eternal home and I'm I'm really glad that you Philippians, you people from Philippi, have been generous because you are actually storing up treasure for yourselves in heaven. And you're going to be rewarded there. You'll be rewarded for everything that you've given away. You give away your time, you'll be rewarded. You give away your energy, you'll be rewarded. You give away your money, you'll be rewarded. Philippians 4, 17, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. He said you're you're storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. So the question for us is, Are you storing up any treasure in heaven? How are you doing on your ERA? Not your IRA, your individual retirement account, but your ERA, your eternal retirement account. Have you sent anything on ahead? Is there going to be anything in heaven there for you to build on? Or are you piling it all up on this side hoping for a U-Haul? You're not going to live very long here, but you're going to live there for trillions of years. Contemporary English version says in this ver- this verse, I want you to receive the blessings that come from giving. First Timothy six eighteen and nineteen, Paul writes and says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, and generous to those that need, always being ready to share with others. Saying, are you a giver or a taker? By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, so they may experience true life. So every time I'm generous, I earn the gratitude of others. I show what really matters. I become more and more like Jesus. I strengthen my faith. I invest in my eternal home. And finally, when I'm generous, I make God smile. Will you fill that in? Every time I'm generous, I make God smile. Philippians 4.18. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus, they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. It makes God happy when we're generous. Those of you who are parents, raise your hand if you're a parent. All right, like proud. Like, I mean, I know some of you are like, I'm a parent. Others be like, we're parents! Those are preschool parents. Teenage parent, teenager parents are like, we're parents. Yep, that's us. I'm an ATM parent. 20 more bucks, 20 more bucks. Listen, when your kids are generous, are are you really happy when your kids are are selfish? Mine. My fries, you know, mine. No, we're not happy with that. We're embarrassed, right? Oh, my gosh, you know. If you could hear the stories they tell on Discovery Zone, right? No, but but, but when your son shares with his sister, like, hey, share some of your fries with her, even if it's not with a great attitude, we'll take it. You know, but think about it. Remember the first time, or I hope it's happened. Remember the first time you, you, your your son looked at his sister, your daughter, and said, "You want some of my fries?" And you're like, "Boom! We're, we're good parents. We're gonna we're gonna make it. One fry will change your whole day, right?" We love it when our kids are generous, and God loves it when His kids are generous. When we share with each other, when we give away some of What we might be tempted to say is mine, it's not really mine, God has given it to us, tis. When we give away some of God's stuff that we're tempted to say is mine, and we say, no, I'm going to break that materialism in God, I'm giving away your stuff you've provided with me, and I'm going to help someone else. God looks at the angel and says, did you see that? That's my boy, that's my girl, those are my kids. They're like father, like son, like father, like daughter. God takes pride. Why? Because the most generous person in the universe is God. And when we become more and more like Him, which is His goal, by the way, that we become more and more like Christ. And by the way, He's watching us every day to see what we're doing with what He's given us. How generous we are. And the promise behind, the premise behind this great promise of the Bible, when you look at great chapter, finishing strong, Talk about generosity and thankfulness the whole time. God says when you give and people, when you give out of gratitude, people become more grateful for you and you become more like Jesus and you stretch your faith and you you show what really matters in life and you store up treasures in heaven, God says, that makes me smile. And then he says, this is the promise, God will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God says you're never going to outgive me. How many needs will got me? All my needs. We should put that verse on our, on our computer or on our car. So this week when you feel like, hey, I don't have enough. I don't have enough time to get all this done. Memorize that verse. But God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God, I'm not feeling good today. I'm I'm out of energy. I need your strength today. God, you will meet all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God, I need peace of mind. I need strength. God says, I'll meet all your needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. But you've got to remember the the premise before the promise. God says, I'm watching to see if you are generous, if you are content. I'm so thankful to lead a church full of so many generous people. May God continue to supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for all the things you've given me. I want to thank you that you made me. Thank you that you created me. Thank you that you've gifted me. That you saved me. God, I want to thank you that I live in America, that we have freedom. God, I thank you for health. I thank you for eyes to see and ears to hear. God, thank you for my wife and for my kids, for Josh and Kristen. And thank you so much for my grandkids. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for so many dear friends that I love. I thank you for the joy of having a purpose in life. I thank you for how you've used my life. I thank you for how you've blessed my life and blessed my family. I could go on and on thanking you, Lord. Listen, if you're here or you're watching online and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, then the first thing you need to do is you need to give yourself to God. That's what the Philippians did first. They gave themselves to God first. You need to say this. You need to say, Jesus Christ, thank you for all that you've given me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for my sins. Now I want to give myself to you. I want to put myself in the center of your plan for my life. I want to live for the purpose that you created me for. And I want to trust you. And I want to follow you. And I want to learn to love you. And pray that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for such a generous church. Continue to supply all of our needs. And show us where we need to extend our generosity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.